Hey everyone, welcome to You'll Probably Agree, and uh, with me today is David Lane from Davy Dave's Takes, and uh, yeah, I, we've always seen each other like at the uh, critic screenings, and yeah, the one we went to recently was Dune. I wish I could press a button, and right now we could just play the score like, it's off, it's off, yeah, yeah, no, I'm happy to be here. I mean, I, I feel like this is long overdue. We always, I feel like we've been seeing each other at these screenings. I think every single one. I mean, you probably yeah. go more than I do, but the ones I always show up to, you're always there. So, <laughs> right, yeah, and I and I know like uh, we you were talking about Dune for a while with me because like you actually read the books, so mm -hmm. you probably like actually have more of an insight to the material than I did. Yeah, now that's the full first. Well, how many pages is Dune? Like a thousand? So, so I'll ex I'll explain a little bit because it, it says at face value there's about six hundred and eighty six pages, but yeah, the whole if you can see the whole like back section, it's mm. like a dictionary because it's like Christ. yeah, because there's so many things like. That's the thing with Dune, and that's why, um, you know, I just love this world and and everything about it. It's just like reading the book. There's so many little details, so many things you need to know, and it sometimes gets so daunting when you're reading the book. They'll be like, "Oh, this person used this thing," and you're like, "What is that?" You literally have to go in the back of the book, like a dictionary, and look it up. Yeah, and I just appreciate that type of world building when when people make something like that so yes i was very excited for part two i'll i'll i read part one so i read the book when um i after i saw part one i never read the book before i saw part one i saw part one loved it and i was like you know i should i should do justice to the source material it's like celebrated i think it, people say it's like the most important science fiction novel ever or something like that yeah. So I'll read the book and the book is amazing, obviously. So I was very excited for Dune part two. And I will say like right off the bat from someone who re read the book, it does kind of help the experience a little bit. I will say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to say, cause there's so many references where I'm going, I should know what that means, but I guess I have to read the book to understand, but it never like frustrated me as a viewer. It kind of left me interested in what was going on. Uh, you know, because the whole movie, when you're watching it, watching Dune Part 2, to me, it felt like this is the feelings one must have when they read the book. It's kind of like this transcendent dream that you're on, that you don't want to leave. And, you know, it's, yes, it's filled with violence and all that, but it's but it's very melancholic and, and, and hypnotic like, to witness. It's like very, what's the word? It, it's like... It's almost like you know you're pending doom. It's almost like it, it doesn't have this like heroic feeling to it. Like, no, no. Which and thank which God they it, didn't do that for the ending. Because like, have you ever read? Uh, have you ever seen Jodorowsky's Doom? Uh, no, I actually only seen the um, David Lynch one, which we okay. can also talk about. Also, all right. So Jodorowsky's Dune is a documentary, and in that documentary. Uh, I, I can't remember Jodorowsky's first name, but he did a movie called Holy Mountain, which is like just trippy as hell. Uh, he he was gonna make his version of Dune, and his ending of Dune had it like he basically did the opposite 
of what Frank Herbert did in the novel. He basically was going to have like green grass grow out of the deserts and everyone was going to hold. Yeah. Oh, out man. of our racket. Yeah. It was going to be some corny bullshit thing. And Talk even, about missing the whole entire point. Yeah. Right? And even Yodorowsky <laughs> said in the documentary, it's like, I was going to destroy his material. I was going to rape it. I'm like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. This is not what you're saying. Thank God this guy never got the keys to make doom like he 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 had it so planned out but it would have been terrible well that's the that's the funny thing about the david lynch one is from what i remember it's been a long time since i've seen it but i remember how it ended and it was like it was almost like this the celebration yeah and it's like and and like you know they, they view paul as this hero and it's like look at us we won and you know when you read the book if you don't get that feeling at the end, you're kind of you kind you kind of feel like indifferent. You kind of like I don't think what like you 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 look at Paul and you're like I don't think he's the real hero of the story. There, there's yeah. something wrong with him. There's something wrong with this whole perception of him. And you know he doesn't ultimately stop what he wants to stop. And I love how Dennis Villeneuve and the the production company and everyone who made Dune Part Two understood that. And didn't they like the ending wasn't like this depressing thing, but you did have this feeling where it was like, like a pending doom. Like this right. isn't this isn't a necessarily a good thing that they won the battle at the end. Right. And just to put the banner up, we're we might be talking about spoilers here. So <laughs> you've been warned. <laughs> but yeah, the, the the thing that really turned me on to part two was I felt like the middle act. It was sort of dra- like kind of dragging a bit where it's getting into these deep philosophical conversations, which I've drawn to, but then it keeps kind of having them. And I'm like, all right, we're going to move the plot further along. But Jesus, that third act is incredible. I mean, the third act is basically David Lynch's Dune, like where it ended, except it's not goofy. And that's kind of like the big difference between the two. Like this is a director who took the material very seriously where I think David Lynch saw it, and he kind of saw like kind of like a silly sci-fi film. And, you know, he, where... and I think David Lynch faced a lot of issues. Like, yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure the studio told him he had to have the film under like, I think it was like under 120 minutes, or no, sorry, 140 minutes or something. Yeah, and yeah. it's like I don't know how you make this whole thing into a movie that's like barely over two hours long. Yeah. Like like the new Dune, Dune part one and part two. Now that film is over five. Like if you combine the one, it's over five hours long and they, there's still so much that they just didn't include from the book. Like there's so much. And I think, I think they smartly picked what would work, what wouldn't work. Um, There are a few things I kind of wish they kept in, but I also don't know how they would have done it. Um, so it's kind of like you, you outweigh like, uh, what would work better? Like, for example, um, you know, in the, in the movie part two, uh, Jessica drinks the light water of life and, uh, her, her, uh, fetus becomes like, what's, what's the word? Like is all knowing knows everything. Ah, okay. Okay. In in the book, she's born and Paul has a sister and it takes place like two years after part one. 
and Paul has a son with like Chani. So what I kind of wished in the movie they would find they could have had Paul have his son with Chani. But yeah. then if you do that, you have to have Paul's sister be born. And if you've seen the David Lynch version, like that just runs into a lot of issues because it just comes off as very bizarre. Like Paul's yeah. little sister. Yeah. So yeah. that's that why was... I'm just like I'm thankful these filmmakers knew what they're doing. Like yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Denis Villeneuve knows how to adapt what seems to be the impossible. You know, because he did uh, Blade Runner 2049. Everyone thought, oh, my God, you're going to get a sequel to Blade Runner? It's going to be some, like, cash cow weird milking of the franchise. And it wasn't. It was a film. I argue could, it might be even better than the original. <laughs> I actually wrote an article saying why I thought it was better than the original. I outlined about, like, ten reasons why. Yeah, because it, it takes like all the themes from the first film and it kind of brings them a little more forward to the audience, you know, because you had the whole thing where one of the robots gets impregnated and then has a baby. So we think it's like a robot baby hybrid. You know, it's like a new way where they can create life. And then uh, Ryan Gosling's character, Officer K, or is it KD-4321? Damn it, I don't know his full designation. <laughs> I think they call him K, though. Yeah, it was just Officer K. He thinks he's the baby. He thinks he's the kid at some point. And then he kind of questions his own sort of morality because up front, he's a replicant. They don't they don't try to hide it like they did with Harrison Ford's character. And just the, the journey K went through was far more fascinating than Harrison Ford just kind of going down shooting replicants, having weird dreams about sheep uh, or not sheep, but like ponies and then drinking all the time. Like I, I thought, I thought uh, what, what uh, officer K went through was way more dynamic, but yeah, it was amazing that they made a sequel to blade runner. And it was even like, I think a lot of people think it's better. And it's also a movie that people, it bombed like the first one, but it ended up getting a huge fan base and I knew we got a huge fan base because eventually Honest Trailers did a trailer on it. You know, I'm like, okay, well, if it's that popular, then it reached, you know, that sort of height. But, yeah, I'm surprised they gave Denis Villeneuve the keys to do Dune. And thank God he got to make it because, like, I don't think anyone else could have done it in the style he did it. Well, because, I think – oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, go. Go, go ahead. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I was just – I was well, I just – when they announced he was directing it, I felt like that was – almost the perfect choice because yeah. he has the style of like, it's like giant filmmaking. Like every film he's made feels like so epic. Yeah. And it's cause like how it's shot. And he's done like so many types of jo different genres, like between doing uh, like prisoners and then eventually like arrival blade runner now Dune. The thing about the Dune source material, it's like, it's so dense with lore. It's so dense with characters. It's so dense with like meanings and what it's trying to say about certain things. That's why it's been so impossible to adapt. And I think it almost is elevated. Like the, the, the type of material is elevated from your typical sci-fi adventure or your normal movie. And I feel like he makes movies that are like that. Like you go see a movie like uh, Blade Runner and you think, typical average audience member might think this is like a action thriller sci-fi adventure but no it's like this beautifully shot journey about like 
okay finding himself and like the meaning of like what's living, what's not. And that's, and it, it just feels like a smart, elevated, typical blockbuster that you would see. And that's yeah. what the, I feel like the whole story of Dune is about. So almost like him picking up this project was like a match made in heaven. And the fact that like he's said a million times, he's like the biggest fan of the books. So yeah. like it's important to him. He even said before he made part one, he's like, if I don't, if this, I will not make a Doom movie unless you make me do it, make me let, like split into two halves. And the, yeah. that's the funny thing. Part one came out and they, they didn't even announce part two. They didn't even green light it. They had the, you had, they had to see if part one did well. If it didn't do well, they wouldn't have made part two. Yeah, it would have it would have been like the ending of Super Mario Brothers from like '93, where they're like, "Come on, we're going on another adventure." No, we're not. <laughs> like, but no, it, it, the uh, the the movie. I don't think you could have gotten a better guy to do it. I think the guy who made Blade Runner twenty forty nine and Arrival, like, and like you said, he did like Sicario, he did oh. um, Prisoners, like very different kind of movies. He knows how to thrill an audience and build. He knows how to adapt. Like, (laughs) yeah, he knows how to take that dense material and make it into two films that actually interest audiences beyond the people who just read the books. Because I've never really had like an interest to read the book, just because I remember I'm like, well, they made that goofy movie based off it. So how is it any better than that? People are like, well, you got to read it. I'm like, well, it's the size of the Bible. I don't want to read that thing. But I eventually, uh, you know, eventually I'll get to it. But I think this is a great way to kind of get audiences into the film and I th- into the whole Dune franchise. And I think it's also uh, they're, they're going to spawn miniseries after this. You know, they're gonna, I think that's what they have a deal with HBO with that. They're going to make like a miniseries. One of them is based on one of the Bene Jesuits. Uh, am I saying that right? Bene Jesuit or Bene Jesuit? Yeah, the Benny Jesuit. Yeah, okay. So they're gonna make like a mini series on the Benny Jesuit and stuff like that. And I think this is just a stepping stone. Uh, I think that you know when I when I saw the end of this film, it's like yes, it felt like an ending, but it felt like Lord of the Rings, the Two Towers, where there's not a beginning or an ending. There's just a middle, and this kind of felt like a middle act with a finality to it, because you know in the yeah. end, you know you you get everything that happened in Lynch's film. And you're like, okay, great. But you also can see through Paul's behavior. You're like, oh, this is going to lead to something real bad. If he becomes a giant human slash sandworm hybrid like he is in Doom Eternal. Uh, do, not Doom Eternal. I think in Doom Eternal. Of Doom Messiah. You know, that, that, would, be, that would be a huge thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's the thing. It's like, like. I think how Dune, the book ends, and then the the Dune part two, I agree. It, it, there's, it seems like there's more to be told. But at the same time, if that was just the story, I do think that's just like a fascinating, great ending to be like the Holy War started. Yeah. Uh, Paul's visions were correct, but he didn't really do anything. He didn't really, you know, stop it as much as he wanted to. He picked all the wrong decisions to stop the Holy War. And and that's why I think it's like fascinating the whole message of Dune. Like Frank Herbert said, he his his what we want people to get out of the book and the books in general is just like mm-hmm. people's like blind faith 
into like leaders or yes. or like yes. charismatic yeah. people. Um, and Paul, you know, he has this crazy ability where he can like see many different futures and figure out like what's happening. But he almost uses it like um, the way he uses it. He like he he takes advantage of it and for his own good, for revenge, and that eventually leads into a uh, a holy war. And that's why I think I'm curious to see what audience think that like are going to go into Doom Part Two thinking it's just like this giant battle, like Lord of the Rings Star Wars style. Yeah, no, um, no, it's not. And then at the end, they're like, "Wait, I think Paul's not a good guy." Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that's what made the movie work. That's what made it stand out for me. Because otherwise, it's like it's a film that stylistically it was a little odd at one point. Like when we get to the whole gladiator sequence, like with oh, the fade, the planet. yeah, yeah, that was that. I thought that was an Iraqis. No, that was in the Harkonnen planet. We I think it was that. in the Harkonnen planet. Okay, uh, yeah, because they because I, I, I didn't, I don't remember if it was in the book, but like that style of filming where it's like it's the black sun and then it's like black and white, yeah, I think yeah. that's supposed to be on the Harkonnen planet. Okay, yeah, I don't know why they switched to black and white, that was an odd choice. Because I thought it kind of looked cool. Like it, it looked cool, but yeah. it was like, why are we in black and white now? <laughs> like they could have kept it in color. We got, it. but man, Austin Butler's character though, as uh, how do you say they fade? Uh, fade fade Rotha, I think. Yeah, fade Rotha. I I didn't expect Butler to be as disgusting and intimidating as he was, and not just in the makeup. Like yeah, the makeup's great. You kind of tell they put a ball cap on him, but you know, outside of that, the makeup was real great. He kind of reminded me of Tim Burton's Penguin, where he just has like <laughs> blood coming out of his mouth, and he was he was kind of terrifying, especially his voice, the voice that he used. Like Austin Butler like- has a real talent for voices. You know, he he did a great Elvis, where it didn't just feel like an impersonation, and this one too, it's like. I couldn't tell that was even him. Like there were sometimes he would be talking off screen. I'm like, who's that? And then they cut back to him, like, well, he's mid sentence. And I'm like, Jesus, Jar Butler. I mean, Jar Butler. Austin Butler's making that noise. Well, that's that's yeah. the funny thing. I just remember when he got cast as him. Which, by the way, they were the other choice they almost had was Harry Styles, which that would have been interesting. Yeah, <laughs> that would have been funny. Uh, uh, so, but they casted him. And a lot of people online were upset. And I, I, at that point, I didn't know who Fade Rotha was yeah. like, when they cast him. People were like, oh, because they're like, he's pretty boy, Masters of Air, like Elvis. He's like, all like, and I'm, I was thinking, like, I think people forget that Austin Butler used to do some weird shit. <laughs> like, mm. I mean, he was, he was texting once upon a time in Hollywood. <laughs> oh, well, oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> he, he can be a creep. But people yeah, always say he can, be a, he can be a creepy guy, and it's. I think he does a great job. Yeah, and it was. And it was definitely. I think people were worried that they were going to do the same thing they did with Sting, with the original. Uh, oh yeah, he, yeah. Where he comes out in a big speedo, and he, you know he looks He's all jumping around like. Yeah, they they're not going to do that for, you know, for this one. They they want him to be nice and creepy, probably the way, more like how how he was in the book. I'm guessing. You know, oh yeah, so in the book he they they it's pretty spot on. Um they I think in the book he was definitely way more horny. Like he 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 like cuz 
There's a part that they didn't put in the movie. That that's one of my gripes about the movie. Doom Part Two is perfect, except they didn't. Yeah. There's a part where the Baron's very upset with Fade for I forget what he did. I forget specifically what happened, but by punishment he had to go to slaughter his favorite brothel. So, you know that would have been wow. great if they had that in the movie. <laughs> yeah, he kind of just slaughtered whoever he wanted. Like, yeah, he just took so that one nailed, blade. They, that's the thing they nailed like the presence like his they nailed like what his character his attitude his presence yeah. like the, just a scary un what's the what's the word uh like unhinged uh yeah. you don't know what you don't really know what to expect with them he could just kill you for literally no reason yeah so yeah they nailed that yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that they nailed that character far more than like what david lynch thought of that what that character would be and it was a standout yeah. performance i yeah, thought yeah, yeah, and I thought the love story between uh, one weak point I'll say is the love story between uh, Paul and uh, Shawnee. Yeah, it, they didn't see, I'm not well versed in Dune, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the love story between the two it, 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 it didn't really work that much as much as like the whole um, Messiah sort of standpoint of you know we shouldn't look up to our leaders like you said like that stuff was far more interesting than the love story which felt like they had to have it because paul had his like dreams and visions of zendaya all right of shuri or shuri whatever shawnee uh, shawnee yeah whatever now i'm calling her after a fucking drink <laughs> uh but like he had his visions of shawnee and i don't know if that was enough for the film to have like this because there's like a huge arc where it's just a love story, and I was just kind of bored with that. But no, I, was, I understand that. Yeah. I, I think it's important because it is it, it it like it is a lot of Paul's motivation is yeah. with Chani. Um, like she's almost the way like person kind of guiding him into like the right direction, and then yeah. like her her his mother is like the opposite because she's uh, brainwashed by the Benny Gesserit and like. And I don't remember really in the book, like, um, if it was so straightforward that she was using Paul in a pond to, like, start the Holy War. Yeah. But, like, I guess that's, like, the, the that's what I say is, like, the two differences, like, the contrast with each other. Like, Chani, like, following Chani, I think, you know, probably would have prevented a Holy War. Yeah. Um, like, they really emphasized it in the movie that if he didn't go south, um, you know, Holy War probably would have happened, but the problem is like they don't know. You know, he's seen other outcomes like where things could have been worse. That's that's the funny thing about the whole like Paul's whole character is that he keeps seeing these visions and he keeps telling himself that if he does it any different, it's going to be worse than it is. But you know how can it get any worse <laughs> at this yeah. point? Yeah, and he's he's gonna enact a holy war because he he just gets real tyrannical by the uh, by the last act of the film where he's like screaming at everyone to bow before him and we're going oh this isn't oh yeah Paul 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 grew some nuts there <laughs> yeah yeah I mean at that point you know okay this guy we know where this is gonna go which is what makes me really interested to see uh, Dune Messiah. Or Dune Part Three, which Denis Villeneuve said he is writing a script, but so, 
It's I, not going to be available. He's He wants to make another film before he ends up going there. So that's the thing about uh, Dune Messiah. I, I really hope they make the movie. I, it sounds like they probably will because I, I think this movie's tracking to make – I think Dune Part 2 is tracking to have a huge opening weekend. So they'll yeah. – uh, yeah, so so mm-hmm. I think they'll make Dune Messiah. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if they call it like Dune Part 3 Messiah. And like mm. you can see like the difference in length. Like Oh my they, god. They can make it in the wow. one movie. They can make this in the one movie. Thanks. So, so but I love Messiah. The problem is like I want them to make the movie, one just because I you know I love Dune. The second big reason, close to be my number one reason, is I just want to see the general audience reaction to the story because it is so fucking bizarre. It's it, it is not your traditional sequel. It's so weird, and maybe that's why I love it so much. And like I don't even I don't even really want to say much about it because it would maybe spoil. Like even the first like five pages, you're like, wait, what the hell? So like, um, it's that Doom Messiah is really interesting in like Paul's character and like kind of where he's at. It's kind of hard to explain without spoiling. I just I'm just picturing like if Lucas Films had the rights to like the Dune movies and they're like, oh great, we'll make part three. And then they read the script and they'll be like, absolutely not. We are not making this. They scrap it. <laughs> they scrap the script for Rise of Skywalker and they're like, Right. We're gonna bring back Baron Harkonnen somehow. We're gonna <laughs> Yeah, just just bring somehow Harkonnen returned. Yeah, yeah somehow Harkonnen returned. We're gonna bring him back. We're not making Messiah. <laughs> yeah, I mean they, yeah, the, Star Wars is kind of fucked with Disney, but at the same time, like they're starting to make some good stuff. Like I think Bad Batch season two is pretty. It's it's pretty good. It's going to lead to a very depressing finale, which I hope happens. I won't say what it is, but you might hear the words "you may fire when ready." Uh, but yeah, <laughs> but uh, with Dune, they. I think it would benefit from getting like a little mini series that kind of oh, yeah. fills like the portions of the book in that the movies couldn't do because you can tell like they had to strip down a lot from those movies and it still feels like a lot of information, but somehow the movie kind of takes its time and lets you soak in with this dreamy atmosphere rather than just shoving action at you like bam, bam, action, and, action. And like lore. That's yeah. like I, that's the biggest feat I think they've done that is like so I think like incredible. I saw part one, not reading the book. I understood everything that was going on. Yeah, I same here. I, I I read the book, rewatched part one. I obviously understood things even more, but I'm like more impressed. Like the fact that they could like get so much of th- th- this lore and the certain like, you know, religions and, and the, the houses and like all this put together to make a cohesive story that like your average audience can follow. I think it's just like a miracle. Yeah. Like, cause there, cause there's so much that happens in both part one and part two that just are, it's sort of like briefly touched on, but in the book they explain a lot better. So it's like, and I think that's why I think they're just, they un, that's why they understand the source material so well. They yeah. just know what to, they're like, we got to go into detail about this. And then, I, like, I guess, for example, in the in part one, how they explain the voice working. Like, I feel like any other filmmaker, that would be, they would do, I just feel like, take too much time on that. 
in part one, the scene is just them sitting at breakfast. It's like the first scene in the movie. Yeah. She's like, use the voice. And he tries to do it. It doesn't really work. But you understand what that is. And you're like, okay, she has, they have some weird ability. And it's these group of people. And that's like, yeah. got it. You understand. But yeah. Yeah. So I just think they just know how to like adapt this correctly. Yeah. That was the vibe I got from the first film. Because in the first film, when I saw the David Lynch film, I didn't understand anything that happened. When I saw the Denis Villeneuve film, I'm like, okay, how's Harkonnen? Bad. How's Atreides? Good. All right. Uh, then what? Caladan. That's the. Uh, that's where. It's like, it's like where the Atreides are from. I call it the water planet, like the opposite of Arrakis, pretty much. Right. Yeah, and then Arrakis, of, of course, is Tatooine. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you can see that there's. It, it feels like Star Wars for adults. Like everyone says that. But then you kind I think of it feels more like Game of Thrones. Ah, yeah. See, now you see, I I never could get into Game of Thrones, and then when I tried to, I heard the finale it was terrible. So I'm like, oh, oh god, why I can talk about that for hours. <laughs> yeah, they they I think, uh, I think George R R Martin just tossed him an idea of what he think it would be like the ending would be like, just to see the audience's reaction. If they hated it, he just write something different. Yeah. Let's give him too much credit because then he's that means he has to finish the books because he's never I think he's never going to. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, we're on House of Dragons now, so I think that's long gone. There's a great interview between like um him and Stephen King where he asked Stephen King, How the fuck do you write so many books so fast? <laughs> and Stephen King said, I think I write about like eight pages a day or something like that. And that's that's how he does it. Which you you, know, you would it. think like a service level that doesn't sound like that's so much. Like you know uh, what I mean? But it is, yeah. <laughs> but it actually is a lot. Like <laughs> yeah, that's a lot each day. Like eight single pace, single space pages. That's a shitload. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Like at first you're like eight. You know, yeah, that doesn't sound too long. And then you're like, wait, that's actually. That's actually incredible that he can do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why he's Stephen King. You know, he's got that strong work ethic. But I mean, yeah. But with this film, uh, were there any elements of the movie that you think really stood out? Because for me, it was it was Paul Trady's like rise and kind of like the fall of his demeanor. Like I thought that was the main thing. Where I'm like, wow, I wasn't expecting that ending. I was expecting yeah. some bullshit happy ending, and we don't get that at all. So that that's like what was interesting when I first read the book. I I, I guess I wasn't really expecting like I, I I remember I was expecting an ending that's gonna that's gonna like surprise me just because you know it's so it's such an acclaimed book and it, and people say just it's so important it has all these different meanings. And that's what struck me about the movie too is like how well they nailed uh, Paul's character and like yeah. the the. Uh, or around him and how he makes other people feel about him. And like yeah. that divide of like Stilgard thinks he's the Messiah. Then like all these other people think it's all a bunch of horse shit. And yeah. like, and just like that, that type of following and like how powerful that is and, and how important that is to people and how much, how you can use it for your own good. Uh, and, you know, and that's, that's what I think is the most interesting part about the movie is that like perception of, someone who is just a charismatic leader and how much you put into that person or even faith. And it like kind of questions that as well. Um, 
Yeah, but I would say the, tied with that is just like visually the how the movie looks. Like yeah. it's I and this time like Roger Deegan didn't do cinematography for here. It was a uh, no, Craig Freezer. Craig Freezer did it for part one, part two. Yeah, I the, the process they go through is incredible. But no, go well, ahead. I think Blade Runner twenty forty nine is like it's like the most beautiful film ever. It just looks incredible. <laughs> it, and then like this around. is yeah. this is up there. I think like I just remember the movie starts that opening with like the princess talking uh, about you know what's happened, and I'm like, all right, I'm in. This is great. And that first sequence where they fight the Harkonnens in that like orange type like desert just yeah. the way it was shot and what it looked i was like oh my god this is fucking amazing this is like i'm so in like and, and it's like every shot in the movie it's just like let's think this out however this is gonna we're gonna make this every shot in this movie we can put as like a portrait like a painting like yeah and it's, it's funny the process they went through that is they shot the movie on digital scanned it on film and then re-scanned it on digital so it would have this very particular sharp sort of soft at the same time look to it. And it's it's something that I think they also did the same process with the Batman. I'm not sure. But that's also Greg Craig Frazier did. Yeah, Craig Frazier did Batman too. Yeah, yeah. Just one of the best cinematographers in the business, like hands down. And, and Roger Deacon. They're both working with uh, Villeneuve. Denis Villeneuve, yeah. Because before he had Roger Deacon's two Blade Runner 2049, I don't know if he also did Prisoners with him or not. I can't. I think he did sure. Sicario, though. Sicario. Okay, yeah, that would yeah. make sense. That kind of looks like his lighting. You know, he likes to use a lot of minimalistic lighting with like harsh shadows and stuff like that. So oh, yeah, you definitely see that in 1917. Oh god, yeah. Uh, or as Michael Phelps calls it, Ready Player World War One, <laughs> which I have to agree with. <laughs> You know, I did. I I'm one of the few people that didn't think 1917 was that great. And I was so glad when it lost at the Oscars. I like, thought I just thought it looked amazing. Like yeah, it certainly like that, does that. Like that one scene where he like wakes up and he's in that village and it's like the only lighting in the village is like the flares being shot in the sky. Mm. It like looks so incredible. And that's and like that type of like like visuals. Is like a lot of the visuals in Dune Part Two. I feel like also just like the way things are shot, like the lighting and like just where things are placed in frame. It, it like I don't know. It, I just think it's so impressive, and it's just like like you could just tell the like the care put into it too. Yeah, you, know? you can see you can see the attention to detail, especially in each planet. Like you have to know who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. While also trying to make sense that the bad guys sometimes use the same ships as the good guys, they use like those big moth ships. Oh, the, and... the, I think they're called like the Thropters or something in the yeah. books. What they're called? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like, but, but it does a good job discerning between what each party is, and it gets you invested in Paul's story. I think a little more in this one than the last one because the last one he was just kind of the guy who always knew what to do. He kept a cool head. You know, he, he was always ahead of the situation. And in part two, he kind of becomes like Anakin Skywalker, where he's starting to have this huge downfall when he was this once noble man. Because anyone with any amount of power, with people telling you constantly, 
that you're this Messiah. Well, what's going to happen to that person? They're going to have a Messiah complex. And then they're going to just start taking advantage of that and losing track of reality. And this movie kind of shows how, I mean, there's that one point in the movie where Paul said he was going to marry, I think one of the Harkonnen's girl, woman or something like that. He no, that's the Emperor's, oh, that's Emperor's daughter. The Emperor's daughter. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to marry her. Princess Erla, Erlin, I think. Erla. Okay. Yeah. yeah, something like that. I mean, they're they're hard names to keep track of. Florence Pugh. <laughs> well, yeah, just just Princess Florence Pugh, uh, pr- <laughs> Princess uh, Urulan, I R U L A N. Yeah, spell it out just to make sense of it. But yeah, he like betrays them, and then he's saying, "I'm going to marry her." And then I think the end of the film it, it just focuses in for the focuses on Zendaya's face. Because she kind of knows, like, uh oh, like Paul's lost. Started, yeah, Paul's lost, and well, that's the thing. I think I was died. That's the thing I was talking to you about when the movie was over. Was that's the thing a little bit different from the book? Is he kind of he does he says he was going to marry the princess, and then he like reassures the Shani, like, yeah. you're still my like you're you're still my person, like yeah. It's not. And I think he kind of does in the movie. Cause like when he looks at her, like before he fights Faden's like, just, you know, as I love you as long as I breathe. I yeah. think he knew he saw that he's going to have to marry the princess that he knew like that was kind of his thing. Then what the movie does differently from what I remember from the book, Shawnee in the movie is like, fuck this. This is bullshit. In the <laughs> book, I don't think she was too jazzed about it, but I don't think she was like totally against it though. I think she was kind of like, okay, this is what has to be done. And yeah. But you, you're right about like the whole thing with do, like with Paul and the whole story, like him, the Messiah complex, and and it's interesting him trying to fight that, you know, because he knows it's wrong, but it gets to a point where he knows he can use it to his advantage, um, and it's uh, like, and we've been saying they just understand like that sort of tone. Like I just remember that scene where he goes up on top of the rock and he says like long live the fighters. Yeah. And a normal filmmaker would make that like the ride of the Rohirrim type, like epic let's get pumped up. Yeah. But like the way Hans Zimmer's score is and like this, that like this, the tone, it's almost like scary. It's like, this isn't good. Yeah. 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 And that's much more faithful to the book. It's not, it's not the happy ending. And I think that those those are the best kind of movies when you don't get the happy ending. You know, Empire Strikes Back. Very out. complex ending, like yeah, yeah. Empire Strikes Back that stands out because it's not a happy way to go. And of course, when they make Return of the Jedi, they just kind of just went back to the first film and just made the stuff that makes it work again. You know, they're like, okay, just bring up a Death Star again. You know, and then we'll have cute teddy bears as well. You know, for the kids. <laughs> and but, but I digress on that. Doom Part Two, it has it, it has a lot going on, but it never feels overwhelming, you know. And, yeah. and that's 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 the main thing because Denis Villeneuve knows how to cherry pick the little details from the book, make it into a narrative. And of course, if you want to see more, maybe there'll be some mini series that you can check out that'll fill in a lot of the holes that you don't understand. But I mean, Denis Villeneuve is one of the luckiest guys on the planet. Blade Runner twenty forty nine bombed but he still was given the chance by Warner Brothers to make Dune. 
And I'm then, shocked Warner Brothers, like the way Warner Brothers have been acting lately, I am yeah. shocked that they've been all on board for this. Yeah, like, I mean, after canceling uh, Batgirl and all that, you think, yeah, yeah these guys would have done but But they still invested in them. And then right when Dude's about to come out, COVID happens. So they had to, like, push back the date. But then when they finally released it, I think they released it in theaters for, like, a couple weeks. And, and it was then on it came up Like, directly the Mac, HBO Max. Like Oh, it went directly. Yeah, and I'll tell you something. I watched the first one on HBO Max recently. That is no way to experience that film. No. I have a home theater set up, and you get the full 5.1. It's not 7.1. It's an old 5.1 off like an old Harmon Kardon receiver. And I had to crank the volume up to like negative six just so I could actually hear what the hell was going on in the movie. So the audio output is terrible and you need good audio when you see Dune. And of course you have a, you have a pixelated image when it comes to streaming. So the best way to see it at home is you get a physical copy of it because it wasn't a pleasant experience trying to see it on uh see it through streaming, but they put it directly yeah. there because they needed the returns and it worked out. And Denis Villeneuve got to make part two, which yeah, I mean, I, it doesn't feel like a conclusion, but at the same time it does. You That's know? what I'm saying. Yeah. Like if they ever, if they just decide not to make Messiah, I feel like this is like a fascinating ending. It's like they, yeah. they, they, uh, you, they, um, you know, United Arrakis and everyone's free, but like the Holy War started and like what Paul's trying to prevent is like, it has happened. And that I like, I just think that's a, that'd be, I think a fine way just to end the series if they don't make Messiah, but like, I want Messiah though. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I just don't turn, be, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I said, I said it'd be interesting if they made Messiah and made this into a trilogy. I, I think it'd be really interesting. Yeah, I wonder if they're going to turn Paul into a giant sandworm. That would be amazing. How does he become a sandworm? Like, is it just <laughs> like his head, like on the top of the body, and then the rest is just the big worm? Uh, I, won't, I won't go too much into it, but, yeah, the, yeah I mean, there's there, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that happen to Paul the Messiah. I'll just say that. <laughs> and, and it's like... And, I don't know. Like I, that's why I just love this series so far. Cause it's like, yeah. I've only read Dune and Dune Messiah. I haven't read the rest. I'm going to the next one. I think is children of Dune. And oh yeah, it, it's, I, I just like the series so much. Cause it's like, it's, you have this giant world, this giant universe of like houses. It's, it does have a star Wars feeling to it, but it, it's, I think more game of Thrones because of the houses, yeah. the scheming and that type of stuff. And it's like Frank Herbert. I just feel like he he had he has these really interesting ideas with these characters that a traditional writer or filmmaker, I guess, now with the movies, it, it would just be the normal. I think Paul becomes a hero at the end and reunites Syracuse, and it's all fun and everyone's happy. And like, and then the sequel is like, oh, one of the houses, we have another thing we have to fight and like stop Arrakis from being destroyed. And it's like part Messiah is not like that at all. It's like, it's yeah. really different, but it's like super interesting to like the overall story and like the characters and the meaning of the whole entire series. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I, I don't know. I, and I like that you said that 
they knew how to cherry pick things from the books. That's spot on. Because I think, yeah. like, it's just like even these little scenes. The, the scene where uh, Fade Ratha is fighting in the ring. Yeah. There's a whole conversation going on in one of the, like, booths with um, the the girl that Fade Ratha eventually, um, you know, talks to in the hallway. She's, like, with her husband. And then they're, like, and they're talking to the Benny Gesserit and Baron Harkonnen. And it's like a whole conversation that, mm. you know, it's important for the book. But in the movie, the context of the movie, it was fine. Like, you get the idea. They kind of, yeah. like, really shortened that. And, the, I mean, there's so much more I could, like, go into. Like, there's a whole subplot about, uh, the, like, in the part one, they took it out. How there was a letter sent to them saying that Lady Jessica is the one that's going to try and kill the Duke, but it's like a false letter from the Harkonnens, and the Duke doesn't believe it, Paul doesn't believe it, like no one believes it, but like Gurney believes it, and a few other people <laughs> believe it. So when Gurney finally sees Lady Jessica again in part two, he tries to kill her. Like there's, there's, yeah, there's like a lot of wow. things that completely left out. Yeah. Yeah. That, I, woof. Yeah, they didn't have that in there at all. That, that would have been interesting if they had that. I feel like all of a sudden... Yeah, he tried to kill Lady Jessica. Yeah, because he because it's like there was a whole thing like a lot. So you said like part one, Paul's not really in it. In part one in the book, Paul's in it, but it is really mostly centered around uh, the Duke. Because and and there is this like a pending doom because they kind of know something's up, and um and they're kind of like trying to figure out who it's gonna be. Like, there's a whole sequence in the book that's not in the movie of them all at this giant dinner party. And there's, like, smugglers there. There, There's, like, the guild that are in charge of spice trade. There's all these people there. And they're, like, knowing someone in the room is going to is gonna betray them. And they don't know who it is. Like, um, Duncan Idaho shows up. He's wasted. People get really upset with him. Like, <laughs> I can see Duncan Idaho. I can see uh, uh, Jason Momoa showing up like that. Like, hey, what's up? <laughs> My man. My man, <laughs> uh, you got some muscle on you now, <laughs> but yeah, that's like it's like those little things that they they removed it, it, that I think is interesting because it is, I think, smartly done. Those are the things you kind of have to take out. Um, but then there are random things that, like, you know, I wish they could have kept him, but they couldn't. Like I said before, wish they could have found a way to keep Paul's son in it, but there's no way to do that. For people who don't know, if they didn't read the book, Paul and Chani have a son, and then the one scene, because I'm assuming you've seen the movie at this point, spoilers, where they attack <laughs> the, the siege where all the freemen or furmen are uh gathered, his Paul and Chani's son get killed in the middle of the fire, and it's like this big deal. And it's like honestly one of the reasons Paul wants more revenge too. It's it's uh But like I said, yeah. if you do that though, you have to have uh Aaliyah born, which is Paul's sister, and that could have been really confusing and maybe yeah. really weird. So, yeah, that's probably why they left him out of the movie. You know, you, you, it sounds like it's a lot of building the audience up once a climax has already happened. You know, it's like Return of the King, although that movie has a million endings, like it doesn't do what the book does, where like after they destroy the ring and everyone's free, the orcs go down to the Shire. That they're about to, they, they basically like enslave the hobbits, and then Frodo and everyone has to save them. 
and then they leave. It's like that would have been way too much after the way big too much. Yeah. So they end up going home, but they don't feel like they're home because everything is different. And that's much more sweet and it works. Dune yeah. is like that, where it's like there's these huge parts of the book that you just can't put in because you're going to ruin the movie. You got to find a central plot, a central theme that someone's grabbing onto. And that thing was Paul wanting to obtain power because he's been that's taught. The whole by, point. Yeah, because that's the whole point of the film. And of course, what happens to those who get power? They abuse it. But the whole point of the, the movie stays focused on Paul. And he and it kind of like you could see why he ends up getting a huge ego because everyone's telling him he's this messiah and this and that. And he is writing sand words at the same time. So he ends up he ends up becoming more of a dictator than anything. And that's what makes the movie work, is that it's not totally predictable. And where you're going to see the house Harkonnen get destroyed and then everyone's going to be free. So I'm glad the movie did that. I'm glad it wasn't just, uh, and in terms of quality, it's one of the best science fiction films slash films I've seen in a while. The cinematography is gorgeous. The production design is incredible. And the sound design, holy shit. Whenever that, that, when that sandworm started to come up, like my ass was shaking. It was amazing. <laughs> no, that's it's those little details that it just like it all comes together so perfect. Like yeah, the how it's shot, the production, the performances, the the, the way they cherry pick the right things from the book, the script, the how, like the just the look of it. Hans Zimmer score to sound design. It just all comes together for it really feels like this euphoric epic science fiction experience that like I said in my review it, it just it, when you're watching it and then you like kind of process it it feels so elevated from like anything we've seen like it yeah. really feels like an experience like an epic just story that clearly is like understood how it needs to be told yeah yeah, and I mean, there's there's no other way to see this movie than in a theater. If you're streaming it, you haven't seen the movie. You have to you see know. it in theaters. Yeah, and it has like a I, I it like not as much action, but I it has like this Lord of the Rings feeling to it, like just the epic scope of it. Like, yeah, and it and it doesn't and it's not just epic for the sake of being epic. You know, it they just had, is. Yeah, <laughs> it, just, it just is. It, it just is. <laughs> it's a huge story. I mean, one thing I'll say about Doom more than Star Wars is like Dune only has like four or five planets. I don't know how many, but Arrakis is like the main focus. Like Star Wars, they it's way more planets. Although they do return to Tatooine a lot, and people have gotten tired of that. <laughs> That's all that they gotta go. They're like then Force Awakens. They're like they fooled everyone. They're like it's not Tatooine. It's Jakku. Yeah. Like, all right. Well, it's it's still pretty much Tatooine. Yeah. It's, it's like thing. it's just another <laughs> sand planet. Oh, look, another Force planet. But it's not Endor. It's another one. Like yeah, okay, sure, guys. <laughs> you ran out of you ran out of ideas for planets. We get it. But at least with uh, Dune, <laughs> that the Arrakis is kind of a fascinating planet. You know how how they have to and how they tie religion into the movie too is really saying your perception of faith and like yeah like like the fact that like Stilgar they they do that well in the book that's in the movie 
uh, or sorry, other way around. They do it well in the movie that's in the book of like their perception of Paul. Like in the book, they'll be like, Paul will say like someone's about to arrive and then someone walks in the door and all like the people are like, oh, you, how do you know that? How do you know he's going to walk through the door? And it's like, sometimes it's like any common person might be able to predict that or whatever. Like the, like when, when he says, I'm not a Messiah guys, like blah, blah, blah. And then it cuts to Stilgar talking to the other firm and he's like, he's so humble. Look at him. Like he's perfect. Yeah. It's like that. It's like literally in the book, anything Paul does, they're like, oh my gosh, like what a, what a hero, what a God. Yeah. And, and we have that it's a an lot interesting too. Take of like perception of what you think of someone who's like that charismatic and like that larger than life figure, they can do no wrong. Yeah. I, I will say that Timothy Chalamet, I don't buy him as a messiah. You know, he's just yeah, I, I, I like I his think he's good for the for, for what it is. It's almost like he he he's kind of a fraud. So it's almost like uh, uh. Yeah, is he a fraud or not? I don't know. There is no messiah. That's the whole point. There is no such. That's thing what I'm saying. Like he's, he's he's kind of a fraud in the sense that there isn't really a messiah. Yeah, he's as close as it gets because he knows how to ride the sandworms and how to win in combat. With, and he can I mean, see the, and he can see futures. That's like yes, what, why people yeah. think he's a god. <laughs> yeah, because he has dreams of the future, and, and he fits like perfectly in that puzzle that the Benny Gesserit like basically plagued the whole galaxy of of like there's gonna be a messiah and he like fit all the little he checked all the boxes and everyone thinks it's him yep yep and then god only knows what happens when they find out it's not him but i'm glad it ended on a note that kind of makes you go wait what happens next you know it's a very very somber note too like damn yeah. this is kind of sad which is awesome i love when a big movie can do that like <laughs> yes that's what makes it so great it feels like an empire strikes back you're like oh my god what's like i want more what's gonna happen next and why that and i didn't expect this to go here but it went there you know you, <laughs> yeah. you don't expect <clears throat> you don't expect paul to all of a sudden be telling people to you know bow before him but he does that I know. See, this is why I said we're going to do spoilers because there's no way I can talk about this movie without getting into that. Because oh, yeah. that's like the whole point of the film, you know. It's, it, it, yeah, and that's like that's why it's I've said it a million times. Just more elevated to what we typically see, and it's it's more. It's not only is it beautifully shot and just feels epic. It's like very thought provoking too. It, it, we yeah. have these discussions about Paul now. We have discussions about the ending. It's not like cookie cutter. This is how it ends. There's legit debate. Like there will be people who debate. Like yeah, he's he had to win though. Like for the for the greater good. Like he, his house got wiped out, and he need revenge on the Harkonnens. And yeah, for sure. But like in the grand scheme of things, like is it really a good thing though? Because the Holy War is going to cause death to like billions of people. Yeah. And I think he's gonna. I think that's what's gonna happen next is the holy war. They they uh, predicted that. So that's that's what I like about it. It leaves space open for more, but at the same time, if they can just end it here, you can you can just end it there. It's like the ending of Terminator Two. You, you know, there's a road ahead, and we don't know what's gonna happen next. And all the oh, sequels yeah. still count. You know, I can't if believe I, I compared to Dune to fucking Terminator Two, but <laughs> <laughs> if I had to bet, they're probably gonna make. Dune Part Three Messiah. I hope they call it that. Dune Part Three Messiah. Yeah. Because, well. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Because I just think it's. I think this film is going to do well. Like. Yeah. 
not not numbers like Star Wars or even like a Marvel movie. Like I'm seeing projections of around 90 million opening weekend, which isn't really completely mind blowing compared to what we've seen. I personally think it's probably gonna get over 100 million domestically, but especially with like the critic scores for this, it's like yeah, it's a, it's a, last time I checked it was at a 98 percent Rotten Tomatoes, which I was like, <laughs> I really don't like Rotten Tomatoes that much. You know, unless you verify me, I love you guys. But because uh, <laughs> it's like, I I mean, because it's just like, you know, it's either a thumbs up or thumbs down. It doesn't paint the whole picture of like what people are actually thinking in the movie. That's why I think Metacritic is a lot better. Uh, yeah, it gives you more of an actual balanced uh, sort of standpoint on what people think of a film. You know, it, it gives has, an average score, like an actual yeah. like, like, oh, this person gave it four out of four stars. That's a hundred. This person gave it two out of four stars that's a 50 then you get the metacritic score will be a 75 rather yeah. than be a 50 percent on tomatoes like, yeah so that's a, a, that's like a whole different discussion but i guess for dune though it's like this the critic ratings right now are insane and that's what i that's why when i knew this movie was gonna be good is the fact that the press screening for us was like 10 days before in the middle of the day, I was like, Oh, they, they are confident in what, yeah, they, they, they know what that you can always tell when a movie's good. Cause with Dune, they, they, they have like an option where it's like way before when it comes out, or I think the next screening is like a little it's before Monday. it comes out. Oh, it's Monday. Yeah. The next ah, one's Monday, okay. but, uh, I'm actually going to the fan event with like six of my friends, uh, on the Sunday night one. Uh, uh, we all bought tickets to go see it in IMAX, not the actual IMAX theater, but like one of the bigger, you know what I mean? The well, it's still processed on digital, so the IMAX you're seeing it on would be the proper format. It's not like watching Oppenheimer where it was processed you on You have film. to go to like one of the five theaters in the country. Like, yeah, like Christian Nolan was like, oh, you got to go to this theater to see it. Like, man, that's so far out of my way. <laughs> How am I going to fucking do that? But yeah, I mean, but Dune Part Two is a movie I need to see again. I'm gonna wait till it's like nearby where I am. I want to see it again so bad. I, <laughs> I I need to see it again. Like after it ended, I'm like rewind it. I want to I want to understand more. Rewind it. You know, I, I mean, we went from seeing that to Drive Away Dolls, which, which was a, like I actually enjoyed Drive Away Dolls. That was really the pro I felt like it was unfair though because like a lot of times during Drive Away Dolls, I was just thinking about Dune. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm just like I'm watching this dumb comedy that has dildo jokes in it. Too and many then dildo jokes. Oh my god! Like it was that was just so stupid. Spoilers was, for Driveway Dolls if you guys haven't seen it yet. There's a lot of dildo jokes. <laughs> yeah, but I I'm just sitting through that movie. And I'm like, I gotta write about Doom. But yeah, when I went home, I think I wrote about Doom like that night. Well, you can see oof. you can see it clearly. I'm filmed both of my reviews that night. You can see it clearly emphasize doing like my doing review was like seven minutes long and then my yeah. driveway dolls was like three minutes long <laughs> yeah <laughs> i feel bad because i actually didn't i actually thought driveway dolls is kind of fun but it's yeah. it really like that's another reason why i was considering just going to the one the next day so that i could give yeah. it more yeah but um no yeah i i just think i said in my review I, I feel like dune is just like a real accomplishment, like a real achievement. And I hate, I do hate when people say that, but I really think it is considering how hard it is to, to adapt something like this and then like make it work for a general audience 
and like everyone seems to like it. Like even part one has great user scores, and it's half. It's literally half of a movie. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that movie just left you open to like what the hell is going to happen in the second one, but it was still gratifying enough. You know, I mean, there's just so many scenes that just visually I love. I love the scene where the Bene Gesserits, uh, they're talking to Lady Jessica, and then her, like, ship takes off, and the music hits this, like, huge crescendo, and it matches to the thunder going off when the ship, like, leaves. Oh, yeah. In the beginning of the first one? Yeah. Like, there you go, there you go. <laughs> and then Paul's standing there in the, in the in the rain, like yeah, and he's like he stands in the fog, and the camera slowly goes in on him. I'm just like, so, he's it, so, so good, good. At those types of like like in part two when the one where uh, Rabin goes or Dave Bautista goes to try and attack the Fremen, the Fremen, mm-hmm. and it's like this foggy, like dusty atmosphere. And yeah, his picked off one by one, and it's like. It, that whole sequence kind of reminded me of Blade Runner twenty forty nine when Gosling's first walking into Vegas. Like, yeah, yeah, that same type of feeling. And yeah, and, th- and that's like, I don't know. I just I'm glad this is exists because, and because it just shows that there can be like timeless movies made. Like there are times where I just recently it's been really reassuring with movies like Oppenheimer and like. Um, yeah, it, it's because it was getting to the point where I was getting really just exhausted with some of the things that have been coming out. And this just shows we can get like this experience that feels uh, like it's going to be timeless and stick with you. It feels elevated than what we normally see. And it's like that. That's just why I'm like, that's why I say it's like an achievement. It's, it's just really interesting to me. Like, I know people are gonna the people are gonna find this movie boring. People are like people thought Doom Part One was boring. I think yeah. some people might go into this thinking it is Star Wars or some space battles or something like that. But it's just, it's a really a story about your perception in per, perception in leaders, uh, yeah. in charismatic people. But it's just set in this like uh, galactic. Game of Thrones, Star Wars like setting. Yeah, I don't. I think I couldn't have said it better myself. It is Star. It is it's Star Wars politics, where the politics are interesting because it's mostly involved with fighting. <laughs> the the, and, the people are like a bunch of brutes. You have to like win an armed combat. That's what I. To... Also, another sweet thing they do. It's awesome. Yeah. It's a great idea. Yeah, we should we should have that. We should have Joe Biden and Donald Trump going to armed combat together. <laughs> well, do they? You, you, you know why they do that? Is I don't I don't remember they explained in part one, but in the book, if you have a shield on, yeah, if you get shot with like one of the guns, it's like a uh, it's like a ginormous explosion. It's like really. You can't, it's like that. That's why they fight hand to hand because they know they if they have shields on that they they can't shoot at each other because mm, everyone around you is killed. Yeah, they should have put in a scene explaining that. that they, been, but I guess they don't need to. It's funny they're they're so technologically advanced with flying ships and all that, but they still have like medieval techniques to combat. That that's what that's why I think it's super interesting. Yeah. Because, like, it's almost like they've gone so far, but there's certain things that they had to like kind of revert back to. And yeah. I'm explaining it very bad, but like that's no, pretty no. much. I, I get it. 
it, it, that's kind of what you get. It's like you can't use shields because like you pretty you can't use guns because if someone has a shield, pretty much everyone's screwed. But yeah, uh, and that's kind of why. Um, and the the Furman don't use shields, so it's like, uh, that's why. I mean, that's also something they don't really they kind of explain in part one, but in the books, like the Furman are like the best fighters in the galaxy, pretty much. Like they, the um, what do you remember? What the name of the army that the emperor like let Harkonnens have in part one. No, oh, like, I, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I, I, like, I can visualize the word. I'm just not very bad at phonics. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I, I, I honestly cannot remember the name. I know there's like three houses. There's the Harkonnens, there's the Atreides, and then the third one I don't remember the name of. It's like I think there's I think there's five total. Oh but, wow. Yeah. But uh, they only really focus on Atreides, Harkonnen, and then, like, the overall emperor. Because, like, the emperor's yeah. scheme, he doesn't like the Atreides because they're, like, too charismatic. So he wants to wipe them out. Yeah. Um, and he's just going to use the Harkonnens because they're, they're scumbags that do it. Um, and, yeah, so, like, and that's the whole scheme is, like, they don't want the other – he doesn't want the other houses to find out that he did that because they'd be really upset. Yeah, you want to keep that secret, <laughs> but that—that's the way it goes with uh, with power struggles. This a uh, Dune Part Two is definitely a sequel that doesn't feel like a regular blockbuster. This feels like a movie that was made with a lot of love, from the score to the cinematography. Oh God, the score! By the way, Hans Zimmer's score—he still knocks it out of the park. I said in my well. review, it's one of the best he's ever done. Well, he won the Oscar for the first film. And this one's way – I think this one's way better. I love the first one. I think this one's even better. Like, Yeah, it's a little more personal. You know, the, the I don't know what the one track is that I was listening to, but it sounds – it sounded great. Well, yeah, there's this a, one, There's a I'm, theme that, like, he made for Paul and Chani that, like, perfectly – I think nails the tone of like the tragedy of like Paul Atreides, like the charismatic figure, but also like the, you know, the, the darker side of him. Um, yeah. They always play it whenever Chani and Paul are like talking and stuff. And it's like the new, it's pretty much like the new, I think the new theme of the story. Um, it's the music that plays in the newest trailer too. Uh, uh yeah yes that's yes that's right and they play like a kind of trailerized version of it uh, but yeah, it's, it's the same like theme no version of it too it's like i don't know it's great it's amazing <laughs> it is it's amazing what they do with trailers you know but i mean i with this film uh, it looks like denis villeneuve does want to do a part three and if i can actually pull down my webcam you can see here not that. Yeah, but Denis Villeneuve says, Dune 3 script is ready, is almost finished, but for my mental sanity, I might do something else in between. So I'm going to guess we will get a Dune Messiah, but that won't be until like five, six years from now. Oh, God. Well, I mean, <laughs> I'll say one thing about Dune Messiah um, that, like, it. Uh, the, the when I was say like the first five pages, it takes place twelve years after the Dune movie. It's where it starts. Twelve years later. <laughs> okay, so we gotta make everyone look twelve years older. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. They could they could wait if they wanted to, 
that's that's kind of my point is like uh, i feel like a typical writer would be like oh the, you know two years later the atreides have arrakis and someone's trying to fight it's like 12 yeah. years later and the opening thing is like yeah there's been like 60 billion people dead it's like wow oh it already happened like the holy wars mm -hmm. happened like he's he's <laughs> not he's not saved shit <laughs> yeah we didn't do anything that that's actually fuck i want to see that movie so bad now yeah it's, 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 it's just saying, and it's all about like paul and these other it's so weird and like i it's it barely has it's any action in it it's all about like these conversations about paul's perception of things and it's fascinating but like i said it's definitely a sequel that people are gonna be like what the fuck did i just watch <laughs> uh oh <laughs> yeah because yeah but no villeneuve says he has part three filled out but or he used to say, it's not a part three. This actually ended, I think, after this movie. It felt like a little fast of an ending. I'm just like, wait, they just had to do hand-to-hand -hand combat between two people, and that's how we ended up getting the house back? They didn't all just kill each other and try to get to it? Okay, whatever. Yeah, that's how it ends in the book. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, funny. And the, book, the action scenes are, like, very brief. Like, they don't really, like, when, the, when they storm the castle... Or yeah. the Emperor's ship, that's like two paragraphs long. <laughs> it's like wow. it's like the Furman come out of the the, the the they're riding sandworms, and I'm like, wait, they're already in the. I'm like, that was really quick. Yeah, yeah, that so was. I always hate it when books do that when they when they linger on with things that aren't that important. They're like, oh, by the way, uh, all this shit happened. Uh, anyways, uh, the, as he approached the grass, thinking of his love, and then, 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 like, oh, yeah. Fuck. Well, that's so like that. So like the ending in the movie does feel like the book where it's it is just in that room. And it's all these there, there's some conversations they took out like, um, you know, uh, the the Menton character. Um, I would just Google Dune part one. M.E.N.T.A.N.T. -T. And you'll see the character I'm talking about. I forget his name. M.E.N.T. Um, How is it again? M E N T A N T. Mentana? Uh, I don't see anything on him. <laughs> Let me see. I'll pull something up. But he's like the. If you remember from part one, he was like Duke's like aide, basically. Like he, whatever he's like, he's like, how far are we from this? And his like eyes go white, and he gives him like the exact calculation. Oh, that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in a so, lot of movies. That guy. Yeah, so he's not in part two, but in the in the book, he survives the initial battle from part one. Yeah. But then he becomes the Baron's like aide. And he because he gets like kidnapped pretty much and he has no choice. And uh the Baron's like poisoning him throughout the rest of the film or the rest of the book. And it, the only way he lives is if he like keeps taking this antidote. And at the end of the book when they're all in this like face off in the room, he's there and he actually has like a pretty meaningful conversation with Paul for like a brief second. And then he mm. dies because he doesn't take the antidote. Ah, uh, wow. That's, so that's, that, that's another thing I kind of wish they kept in, but also I don't know how they would have been able to just come yeah, back. How would you fit it in there with the Baron and stuff? It wouldn't have really like, it would have slowed things down completely. Yeah. It's funny how we talk about how this movie is long and epic, but really it's like, even with its length, it feels like it could have added more, but they could have added an extra added... hour to this movie, probably. Yeah, 
And if they did, I think you would exhaust the audience and they'd want to go home. You know, Denis Villeneuve isn't like Martin Scorsese where he's going to make like a three-hour film where it's very repetitive and goes over the same thing again and again and again. You know, I liked Killers of the Flower, Killers of the Flower Moon, but I didn't love it because it just kind of kept going to killing after killing after killing without propelling the story forward. But I mean, with Dune, it doesn't feel like, yeah. With Dune Part Two, it doesn't feel like it's lingering. Like maybe in a little bit in the middle act, it's lingering with some of the love story, but most of it, you're you're, you're pretty much engaged the whole way through because it's it's not your typical blockbuster. It's something that feels like it came from a fan but it's not like a fan film you know yeah. it feels like a genuine work of art that it was adapted from something like if you want to talk about something that felt like a fan film the force awakens felt like a fan film you know the last year i felt like a film from a guy who hated star wars and then <laughs> rise of skywalker is a uh, movie that was made for the fans but by people who didn't understand the material but I that was I think whereas Skywalker is just a a big corporate schlock fest of they clearly didn't understand what they were doing from right, it, kind of, it yeah. kind of like reassured a rise of Skywalker it kind of reassured people they're like Disney doesn't know what they're doing and then that came out they're like yeah we were right but they've made better things lately so but like at that time though when it was just those movies that were out. People, yeah, it almost reassured. It's like maybe this wasn't a good idea, but yeah, yeah. I, but I, <laughs> they just went through the lowest common denominator with that sequel. I mean, bringing Palpatine back was one of the dumbest things. And now, through the Bad Batch and the Mandalorian, they're trying to make a way where you're going to understand how Palpatine cloned himself and stuff like that. You know, yeah, it's, it's gonna be like Dave Filoni when he made the Clone Wars, where everyone hated the Clone Wars up until the Clone Wars reached its second season, and then people were like, "Oh shit, this is pretty good, actually." I guess my, but for me, the difference is, is like when I don't really like the prequels that much. I, I like Revenge of the Sith, but it's like, yeah, it's like that that whole part of the Clone Wars. There was an interesting story there that I just feel like George Lucas just didn't explore because they're yep. there. You like expand on anakin slowly turning yeah but like with here if you're gonna like give more breadcrumbs of what happened how palpatine came back i for me who's a fan of star wars i personally don't really care i'm like this is clearly a mistake that you guys are kind of just like covering covering your ass for try trying to like make it make sense because like what in the mandalorian when they were kind of going into like oh they're cloning and I'm like, are they trying to explain Palpatine? I'm like, no, just make the Mandalorian its own story. I don't, I don't care. He came back. Yeah. Fine, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 and then the Mandalorian ended up focusing the like the way they did the cloning thing with Mandalorian was ridiculous. You just found out it was like Moff Gideon wanted to yeah. clone himself, and you're like, oh, really? Whatever. But it's somehow probably, that'll lead to probably foreshadowing that's supposed to be the Pal Palpatine too, but yeah, exactly. It's all foreshadowing. That's what Dave Filoni's doing. He's he's Star Wars's janitor. Someone writes garbage, he cleans up the garbage by writing something cool around it, like the Clone Wars, where it actually flushed out Anakin Skywalker and Obi Wan Kenobi, and and all. Uh, did they flush out Padme? No, not that much, but they did flush out Anakin and Obi Wan in that Dude, show. So I always that's what I've always said about the prequels. I feel like 
They should have not made Phantom Menace. Make episode one Attack of the Clones. Yeah. Figure out a way to make it better because I don't think it's a good movie. And then make yeah. episode two, uh, like two and a half, two hour, two hour movie. Like, I know it's hard. The Clone Wars series had a lot go into it. So it's almost like you can't make it that into just a single movie. But I'm saying, like, kind of write it originally, make that like two and a half hour movie, The Clone Wars, and focus on like Anakin, Obi Wan, and like, these things happen through the Clone Wars, and you can like give those little breadcrumbs, and Anakin might be going a little crazy, and then make Revenge of the Sith. I don't know. Yeah, yeah that's what done. You can but, start it in the middle of the Clone Wars. You don't have to see how the Clone Wars happened, and you yeah, can see how he's a leader. Too. Yeah, I don't. That's I don't funny. actually. I don't mind start before the Clone Wars because it's it would be like, oh, this is the time of like peace for a little bit, and then the Clone yeah. Wars happen. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Or it could happen in the same movie, you know. Exactly. But yeah. So I don't know. It's fun. It's funny. I actually kind of like the Phantom Menace a little bit. I and I like the world building that it does. I like what it introduces because it doesn't feel like your regular Star Wars film. It feels like something different. You know, I'll never forget when I saw that trailer for the Phantom Menace. I I was like, wow, this is something completely different and unique. Like, what are these robots? Who are these like people with a big? You know, they were Gungans. I don't know what they were called at the time. Like, who are these guys? What's a, you know? You see a Naboo with a big wide shot, just showing a gorgeous landscape of the planet. You have Aquarius. You have uh, um, you have Venice. You you have Atlantis or not Atlantis? You have Metropolis. You have all these amazing big worlds that wasn't possible to make before. And they did it in this one film. And if the script was just good, it could have been an amazing film. But the Phantom Menace's screenplay is what kills it. Yeah, that's like, that's why I, I give credit to the prequels after seeing the sequel trilogy. It's like, at least like he had a cohesive, like, no, I'm not going to say cohesive story. The story's still all over the place, but he clearly just wanted to be like, Anakin's here in episode one. By the end of episode three, he'll be Darth Vader. So he clearly yeah. had like a plan. And, and it does feel different from the original trilogy but it still feels like it's in the same universe that's where i give them credit for the prequel trilogy but like i said i i phantom menace i just think is just plagued with a lot of issues and attack of the clones probably my second least favorite star wars film yeah uh, is rise of skywalker the worst one yes i i yeah i can't i i literally can't watch rise of skywalker it's different with like phantom menace and attack of the clones because it's like I don't think they're good movies, but at least they like that the, the intent, like there was intent there to like tell a Star Wars story. Rise yeah. of Skywalker just literally feels like here's a laundry list of things to try and make fans happy again. Let's just make this corporate bullshit and like yeah, bring back Palpatine. You know, bring in more starships. Just have people ride. <laughs> there was that ridiculous scene where they're like riding on like this whatever horses. space horses. Yeah, on the ship. They're like, what the fuck are they doing? And of course, like Palpatine unleashes super lightning in the sky that, that, breaks, ends, the, that breaks the sound system. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. He ends up having his own dubstep. It's ridiculous. Oh God! But you know, I mean, that's what that that's why I see Doom Part Two, and I'm like, geez, this is something that's not made from a corporate entity like Star Wars. You can tell that Warner Brothers gave Denis Villeneuve full creative reign on it. And he produced something that is marvelous. And I think it's a movie that people won't forget after it comes out. And you can watch Dune with Dune Part 2. And, 
You could be engrossed in it. You could read the book afterwards, or you could be an illiterate fucking idiot like me and not read it. But, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I just started reading books like a year ago. So oh, I mostly read like uh, I got on this huge kick where I was reading books from Bob Woodward about Trump because they were just like conversations in the room. And the whole time you're reading it, you're like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> like it never fails to shock you how fucking crazy he is. But <laughs> that, that, that's one great way to bring in the audience, mention politics. But <laughs> whatever. I mean, no. when it comes to politics, Dune is filled with them. I was gonna say Dune's Dune's a very political movie, and it's um like about politics. I don't think it's I don't think it's making any sort of statement on like actual current politics. It's just saying like I, I mean we said it, I've said it a few times now. It's just like the overall theme that Frank Herbert said. It's about just be careful blindly following charismatic leaders, and it's and that's why it's interesting to me. It's why the whole story in this movie I just find like way more interesting even though like people will be like oh the movie's slow because i know people are going to say that when it comes out it's boring but i just find yeah. it even i like that it's slow though it exactly it, you it, take, it takes its time but the when, visuals when you're watching it. Yeah. and like what it's trying to say and it's like i think that's just more interesting than like going to see i'm trying to think something top of my head like going to see driveway dolls. It's more <laughs> well, at least that movie I feel like also has like a director trying to do something. I'm like trying to think of some like what's the most recent Marvel movie? Oh god, like the Marvels. Yeah, like the Marvels are oh, like horrible. Like it like like uh. or I'm trying to think of more like recent I mean like Thor Love and Thunder. Like I don't know. It's just like those just seem like typical beat by beat things that they would do. And then like yeah. this movie, I just think it's like unexpected and like tells, tells like an interesting story and like actually wants to make good cinema out of it. Yeah. It wants to soak you in the atmosphere. And that's what I love about Denis Villeneuve's films is that they're very atmospheric, even prisoners. You feel like you're in hell with that movie. You know, that's probably one of uh, Hugh Jackman's best performances scares the shit out of me. Paul Dano gets the crap beat out of him in every film, too. I don't know why, right? There will be blood. He gets the shit beat out of him. Prisoners, he gets the shit beat out of him. I think there's another movie where he gets the shit beat out of him, but I'm not sure what it is. I just rewatched yeah. The Sopranos with my girlfriend, and uh, he's oh, kind yeah. of <laughs> Who? Paul Dano. He's, he's in The Sopranos? Yeah, he's in it like a decent amount. He's one of AJ's friends. <laughs> Oh shit! Does he get beat yeah. up in it? And he talks about like picking up chicks and stuff, and it's so weird because it's Paul Dano. <laughs> <laughs> that is weird because now he's a dad. You know, it's weird. All these people I see who are famous are like now parents and shit like that. I'm like, oh, oh god. And, and like, I'm just like, I'm like watching the the, and I'm like, man, that's gonna be Riddler one day. He doesn't even know it. He's gonna be yep. a Riddler. <laughs> it's amazing like who would have ever guessed robert pattinson would have been batman you know and do a great job <laughs> yeah do a real good job like that it was funny they went off of his audition tape and the audition tape wasn't that great from what i saw on the uh, dvd or the blu-ray oh really i wonder why i still picked him then <laughs> i don't know i you know he just kind of whispered like this and i'm like all right but he he did a, he did a better job of the movie when it came out but uh yeah but We'll wrap it up here about Dune, though, because I actually have to 
take a sandworm somewhere. But yeah, there they are. The two Bibles. Two Read Bibles. They even, they even uh, like this one. It's funny because when you order this, it's like this big old thing. Like, uh, I don't know. Like, there's a picture of the of like the first movie poster. It's like, oh, nice. It has all this shit in it. Like, and then Dune Messiah, the ending of the book. It's it's not like that. It just, the book just ends. <laughs> <laughs> That's a no poster for you. It's and and uh, it's funny. So like when I read Dune, I'm not gonna lie. Since it's so dense with lore and stuff, there are times I'm like, "What the fuck did I just read?" After each chapter, I would go into Spark Notes just to make sure I didn't miss anything. You know, like yeah. just make sure I didn't miss anything. Dune Messiah has no Spark Notes. <laughs> no uh -oh. one's made a summary of it online, so you just kind of have to trust yourself. <laughs> I love a book that also has a dictionary I have to memorize. That just sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, no, that's and actually that reminds me. You know when there's Paul speaking Fremen? Yeah. Like, apparently that's not like you know how like um Lord of the Rings, someone made a whole elvish language? Yeah. Like, I guess yeah. that Fremen language is something Denny Villeneuve made. I didn't know that. Really? I could be so wrong. Someone could fact yeah. check me. If I'm wrong, just don't let me know. I don't care. If that's I'm one, right, just let me know. I will I'll appreciate that. But <laughs> that's one thing I forgot about. They like a huge majority of like the first half of the film, they're not even speaking English. They're speaking like Fremen for like a big portion of it. Which kind of helps, I'm not gonna lie, because since there's so many random like war like titles of things and like how people are named and that type of stuff, uh it, it almost helps to see the, the title of it, like, visually. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, when I rewatched Doom Part 1 after reading the book, I put subtitles on, and there are just so many things I picked up on, because I'm like, oh, yeah, that is what they're talking about. When I first watched the movie, I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, for me, who's, like, all, like, not well-versed in Dune, it enticed me enough, where even when I didn't understand things, I'm like, well, if I watch it again, I'm going to get it, you know? Or if I go on my Wikipedia, I could look it up. Or I could just read the book, you know. Oh yeah. Right. Or read but, the book and then read the Spark Notes because you're nervous you might didn't pick up on something. Yeah, which would probably be a lot of things. But um, to wrap it up, I think we could both recommend Dune Part Two. I think it. Oh, is absolutely. It than, is it better than the first one? I oh, think it is. Yeah, I'd have to see it again to determine that. I think it was about as good, but. I think uh, for me, part two, just the most interesting parts about Dune for me is what part two is mostly about. The yeah. what we said about like, you know, a messiah. Is he the messiah, false messiah? And that kind of uh idea and theme. That's kind of in part one, but part one's mostly about world building. That's why I love part one, because of the world building and and you know, getting us on Arrakis and that type of stuff. But I think like part two propels you into like the real meat of the story, what it's yeah. really, what it's really trying to say. Yeah. I think part two is sort of like the character development of Paul that we wanted to see in part one, because they just, they don't really develop much about him other than he's like a young man who is lost going, everything. Like, yeah. Who loses everything, you know? And in part two, we see how he kind of copes with that. 
He, like, he, he, he's coming of age. He rises from it. But then you're like, wait, this is not good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and even his own mother is, is, is prepping him up to be the next Messiah. And there, there's no way to, to leave. There's no, there's no out for him. But in this one, we see what all that feeding of information accolades do to somebody. And oh, yeah. the, the, the result isn't pretty. And it's probably just going to get worse in Dune, in Dune Messiah. But for, for now, uh, Dune Part 2, I think it's a satisfying ending to the uh, Dune films. It's a miracle that it got made. And thank God it did. I, I'm expecting more for Denis Villeneuve. And I <clears throat> I, uh, I can't wait for this to be available on home video too. So Warner Brothers, if you want to send me a copy, I'll <laughs> happily review your 4K copy of Dune Part 2. I hope it comes yeah. with a Blu-ray because Blu-rays have better surround sound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I can't recommend Dune Part 2 enough. I've already said in my review it's... It, it, I think it's a real achievement. Um, I think it, it does have that epic Lord of the Rings feeling to it. And it, it's, it feels like a smarter version of a, of a science fiction film that we typically see. But clearly people who understand the source material and, and want to make sure it, it does its justice. And I, like, and I said earlier, I just feel like it's a combination of just everything coming together so perfectly with like filmmaking, the story, just like everything you couldn't have done it better. I really like as someone who read the book, I really don't know how else you can make a better adaptation of this. Yeah. Um, there's obviously some people are going to nitpick a certain things, but that's the point of adaptations though. Like it's not going to be exactly the same. And, yeah. and I think this one, like you, you probably can't do any better. Um, you know, like, and, and yeah, I mean this, I just love this film so much. I think it actually is like perfect. I, it's an early front runner for me right now to win movie of the year for, for, you know, David Dave's wow. movie of the year. It's a front runner right now. Obviously it's March. That's what would have been interesting. If this would have came out in November, like this, the Oscars season would have been nuts. It would have been between this. It would, have, and- it would have been, well, the funniest thing is it was supposed to come out. In I November. Think, during October. Yeah. In November. But then the writer or the actor strike happened. And, and you know, Warner is like, we're pushing this back. Make sure we're getting as much marketing on this as possible because we almost didn't even make this thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I hope. Denis Villeneuve has, like, the worst luck and the best luck. Blade Runner 2049 bombs. He still gets to direct Dune. Uh, he, Dune's about to come out. COVID happens. COVID happens. Yeah. Uh, Dune Part 3 is about to come out. Oh, the writer's strike happens. So they got to delay the release. So, yeah. Yeah. Because it could have been an Oscar front runner. It could have yeah. been Dune versus fucking Oppenheimer. Yeah. And I think it would have been interesting, but I'm kind of glad this happened because, like, now, I mean, there's going to be a lot of good movies come out this year. Who knows? Like, but I could see this clearly like, a clear front runner at first because, like, yeah. the first Dune movie got nominated for a lot and won a lot of Oscars. Mm-hmm. And I think this, like, is better than part one. Like, every, I think every part of this film, every aspect of it, is a better version of part one, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think that's why I think it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Uh, it's just weird that this is coming out in March and award season is literally going to be a year from now for this movie. I know it's, I don't know if it's going to be, hopefully it'll contend. There's a lot hopefully of, it doesn't, hopefully it's not like recency bias. Where like a film comes out like November and people kind of forget about Dune. Like, yeah. 
Well, that's 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 what I'm worried about. That that does happen a lot. Yeah. Oh, I mean, but that, that is unfortunate. But what is fortunate is that you should see it. It's a damn good film. Oh, 100%. And, you know, if, if our recommendation is, isn't enough, then, hey, tell us why we were wrong about the movie and we will constructively have a conversation that is in full criticism. Nobody will yes. be saying a few to each other. Please, <laughs> please let me know um, what I got wrong about the book. Um like I said, I just got back in the reading, and the first book I chose to read was Dune, probably the most dense uh, book to get my brain back into the reading cycle. So if there's anything I missed or got completely wrong, um, just pretend that I got it right and just don't let me know. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> so, Dave, you can find Davey Dave's takes on YouTube. Uh, the link, the uh, description for it will be in the video. And also, you can find Dave on TikTok and YouTube at, well, what is it, Davey Dave? Yeah, on YouTube, just Davey Dave's Take. Uh, what is my TikTok handle? I just started using TikTok. Oh, it's uh, Davey Dave Lane. Uh, for TikTok? I think it was the same for both on Twitter. Oh, TikTok, I don't know. TikTok is, oh, Twitter and Instagram, uh, Davey Dave Lane, L-A-N-E. I guess Davy Dave's take was taken. I don't know why, but um, TikTok, TikTok though is Davy Dave's take. There we go. So, and of course, if you want to see my stuff, go to YPA Reviews. I said YPA Reviews on all platforms except TikTok. On TikTok is at YPA Reviews Chicago, all lowercase too. All right, Dave, thank you so much for doing this. Doom Part Two. He gives it a ten out of ten. I give it. Maybe a three and a half out of four, leaning on a full four. So that's fair. That's a high rating. That's high praise still. (laughs) Yeah, I gotta, I gotta see it again. I need to see it again because there was just so much lore that I, I, I was, I was lost, and I was happily lost in the dream that was (laughs) part two. So, every everyone, don't get sand in your shoes. It's not beach time. It's not winter time. Unless you're in the West Coast. If you're in the West Coast, uh, please, um, I I will happily join you there. All right. (laughs) Until then, we'll see you later.